Welcome back, everyone, to another mini-sode of The Occasionalist. This is Matt Pagel here once again with Adam Chemaluski. Chema, how you doing today? Man, I'm doing pretty fucking good, man. Crushing through the March of mini-sodes all the way. It's been a fun month. It has been a very fun month. And uh, I'm, I'm ready to dive into this one because, you know what, like... Uh, we we always kind of dance around. We probably whenever we talk movies, we probably just ca- ca- casually talk about Marvel in some capacity. It's kind mm-hmm. of it's kind of hard not to at this point in time. I mean, and if you ask um, Jared Leto, Marvel saved the entire theater industry. I was just about to bring that up. <laughs> um, but uh, boy, talk about kissing the fucking ring. Um, but um, yeah, so like, let's actually sit down for for a little bit here, and we're going to talk directly about Marvel. And how we're going to do this episode, we're going to talk about Marvel and and sort of their the reasons why they're never going to be, at least the way they work, they operate now, they're never going to be competitive for the big awards. They're never going to win a you know an Emmy award for like a best drama series. They're never mm-hmm. going to win a best picture Oscar. They're never going to win a best director, a best you know best actor. More than likely, these these awards are going to avoid them simply because of the way they're put together. So we're going to kind of break that down a little bit, and then we're going to sort of go through and um, and make some adjustments that will give Kevin Feige, you know, those those big awards. How how are we going to get Kevin Feige? Basically, what we're going to do is how we're going to get Kevin Feige his uh, Best Picture Oscar and his Best Drama Emmy Award. Mm-hmm. So let's let's just start it off real quickly here, Chema, with you know the, the, the just the statement: Marvel can't win now because, and just throw me a couple of reasons why. Okay, because you've said this word, formula. It's formulaic. It's the same thing over and over again. Even when they seem like they're taking chances, they're really not taking the chances I think most people think that they're taking and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And like, I what it, I will give you an example. Like, um, Black Panther is definitely like a cutting edge, groundbreaking movie in yep. terms of an African-American being the protagonist superhero. And like, believe me, I know Meteor Man and Blank Man have existed, but on the scale of Marvel, <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> I saw Blank Man in the theater, no less in the Parmesan Mall. So, nice. um, but uh, the, um, the level that Marvel is compared to anything, even today or even prior to um, prior to you know the present time that we live in, is a goddamn juggernaut. So, having an African American lead, that is groundbreaking. That is taking chances. But what is not taking chances that I feel a lot of people believe that Marvel is taking chances is just kind of like the way they do like plot stuff and everything, like. You know, they may think that um, maybe telling Captain America the Winter Soldier more like a uh, action-packed Tom Clancy government thriller, mm-hmm. it still follows the same formula. And you could take movies that Marvel had made, and they even something like Avengers Endgame, which is definitely like breaking the mold in terms of like the storytelling and with all the emphasis they put on the antagonist where the antagonist is almost the protagonist of the story, but it's still formulaic. The Avengers still kind of have their big battle scene in the end. Mm -hmm. It it does end on a a downer note, which is definitely a new thing for the MCU, but that's not really like taking chances because we've seen that before with Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars is the largest, most successful franchise until like the Marvel Universe comes into play. So what I feel is that 
a lot of the things that are formulaic about the movies and that um, separate them from the Oscars contenders is that they're not really breaking new ground in terms of the story and, and all that stuff. They're just kind of taking a similar model and polishing it up in different ways. Yes. Yeah. You, you hit on a lot of the points I was going to make. You made, you made, and you're exactly right. Like the, the idea that at the core of everything that they do is sort of the same formula. It keeps, so and this ties into a lot of the stuff I'm going to talk about. It keeps the drama extremely low. In that case, when you, when you are doing the same, when the template's the same, the, the end result's going to be almost the same. So mm-hmm. the drama just can't be that be it can't be that high. And it's fine. Like there's some legitimately fun action sequences and scenes and stuff. Um, you know, we I know we've talked about the Marvel banter, but like at least originally in, in the first you know spate of of Marvel movies, that sort of Marvel banter was kind of fun to have mm-hmm. Tony Stark and 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 Cap shit talking each other or doing whatever. You know, there was mm-hmm. there was a different. It had a different rhythm to it, but that now that every movie has that, it, it, there's you're you're there's just less room, less room for drama. And I'll, I'll put it this way: there's there's a lot less room for growth for the characters. Um, right. You can't really develop characters when they're on the same template, um, and and you know and that also goes because their heroes are solidly heroes. There's mm-hmm. really no gray area with what they're doing. So right. those two combinations, you know, the, again, the template and then your, your good guys are good guys through and through. There's no real growth or change that they can go through. And obviously they do go through some changes, um, especially as we get into the later stages, we get to Infinity War and Endgame. Their attitudes about certain things change, but I mean, they're not, no one is boycotting fighting Thanos. Right. They're, they're all in. They're going to go ahead and do it. And it's going to end up the way we think it does. And I think another thing that um, is something you didn't bring up that I that I, I do want to point to is that when when we do have some of these movies are they're like again I action movies that are two and a half hours long are unnecessary especially when we could be using some of that time for character development instead mm-hmm. of doing the what what the Marvel thing is we got to show these characters using their powers in an extended sequence and they better go save some cats or some trees. You're right. That's exactly right. We have to have the biggest possible goddamn threat imaginable, and these people have to showcase their skills at all costs, dude. Yes, exactly right. And like one thing that you that I love that you brought up is the fact that these people are solidly heroes. Like I'm not including Deadpool and some of the Fox stuff into this. Right. Um, right. You know, in in a couple of years, I'm sure we will be able to. But at this point in time, they're still kind of their own thing, and. Um, there's Deadpool might be the closest thing to an anti-hero that Marvel has, but Deadpool is a completely different anti-hero than Joaquin Phoenix's character in the Joker. Correct. Like yeah. it's two completely different presentations of the, of the anti-hero. And like, it's, you know, like Deadpool's like a guy, you know, he's a smart ass. He maybe doesn't really want to be doing it sometimes. And he's an assassin or whatever. And like, but he becomes like good and, you know, he kind of maybe like embraces the family like he does at the end of Deadpool mm-hmm. two. There's some kind of like personality change where, you know, he may just kind of realize like what's in front of him. Whereas Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, 
the Joker is a bad guy and stuff. He just happens to be the hero of the movie. So right. their definitions of anti-hero are two completely different things. And if we're talking about what the Academy is going to favor more, they're going to favor a story more about Joker than somebody who is evil that just happens to be the hero of the story. Correct. Absolutely correct. That the yeah it, it, it's it's you put that so well just like even the idea of an anti-hero in the marvel universe is still very solidly a good guy um mm-hmm. and it's and it's not to extol you know dc's idea of what anti-heroes are because they're you know they're dark and gritty or whatever but they seem to have a much better grasp um be it something like birds of prey joker um even uh, you know the suicide squad like the bad guys are fucking bad guys in those mm-hmm. movies, they just happen to be using their talents to kill other bad guys. Um, <laughs> right. It, it's it, and there's like no mistake about like who like there's no mistake about like which side Harley Quinn is on, right? Like she would kill right. a good guy. She would kill mm-hmm. a bad guy. She would kill anybody because she's a fucking maniac. Um, but like if if that if you were to port a similar character, not specifically Harley Quinn, but if Marvel had their Harley Quinn um, you know equivalent, it, she would not. She wouldn't even come close to what's being portrayed by Margot Robbie in the DC universe. Not even close. No, not exa- dude, not even fucking close. If Harley Quinn was in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, she may start off bad, but by the time we get to the the, the complicating incident of the story, the thing that throws the, the character into the, into the story, she that would be her being good. And then you would have two minutes, two and a half hours of a two hour and 40 minute movie where Harley Quinn is the good guy. Exactly. Like when we, um, just to use the, just to beat this horse just a little more. Um, like when we get the, the Harley Quinn, um, when she shoots the, the president of Corto Maltese Mm -hmm. in the suicide squad, it's not like out of some sense of duty. She was like, she was just like, well, this guy's kind of a prick. Kind of reminds yeah. me of my old boyfriend, so I'm going to kill him. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's not hap- that's not happening in a Marvel movie at all. Like in the Marvel movie, she would leave that guy, join the Avengers, and the Avengers would fight the Cordo Maltese people. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So there there are some of the problems there, um, but let's get specifically. We're gonna we're gonna tackle a movie. We're gonna tackle a TV show. Um, so we're gonna here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go. We're gonna dive into one movie, and then we're gonna an existing movie. And we're going to do some, just some like a little tinkering under the hood, basically, to sort of make it, um, make it um, award worthy, if you will. So Chema, what's, what is your movie that we're going to be tinkering with? All right, dude. So I'm going to take us all the way back to the year 2008 for the first Iron Man. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I got to tell you, dude, like I was, um, I've been watching just like a lot of different random YouTube videos about character development and all this stuff. They put things in a uh, like a way a five-year-old can understand them which unfortunately is the only way i'm ever really going to be able to learn but that's my challenge (laughs) and um they some of these videos one in particular was focusing on tony stark's overall arc and everything like that in iron man and it had got me thinking about how like this movie is like not too far away from being not an Academy Award winner, but maybe in the pool to talk to be nominated. Yeah. And the way that um, the the way that I would make these changes, and I'm going to start off by the overall premise, is that you have this guy who's a weapons manufacturer realizing the damage of the weapons that he's made. This right here is Oscar bait and gold. Okay, like this right here is a story that. Um, especially with the way that the world is in and even more so in the present time with the, the, the war in Ukraine and stuff like that, that um, 
you know, I would be safe to assume that if a weapons manufacturer even had a soul to begin with, so let's just say that they had a soul and maybe like saw some of the devastation that their weapons were doing, thus, you know, being held captive by terrorists and stuff. I believe that that is somewhat realistic, that this person Mm -hmm. might actually like see the error of their ways. And in the story, he could still make the Iron Man suit and everything like that. You know, he could still be put in that situation where you have to make this weapon for us or we're going to kill you. He could still be doing that. And um, he could still, you know, be lost, be found, come back and everything, still even make another Iron Man suit. And then what I would do in terms of the big changes would be that, like, now he's ultimately, like, looking to – which he gets there, you know, trying to dissolve Stark of making weapons and everything. And he's keeping hold of his Iron Man suit, just like in the movie. But what I would do is I would get rid of Jeff Bridges and them creating their own Iron Man. This is where the movie, I think, becomes way too superhero-y. And I feel that if they maybe replace that situation with either Jeff Bridges, um, like, hey, by the way, Stark, I stole your launch codes and I'm going to launch all the nuclear weapons at the universe if you don't give us the Iron Man suit. And it becomes more about Tony stopping a like a, a war machine, now no pun intended, yeah. in, the for, in the form of like a business then this um, business threatening to launch, maybe they actually launch some nukes and he gets to go in the suit and save the world and throw rockets at each other and stuff. But I feel that like it would ultimately play better if he was stopping like a, um, a force that um, is not uh, that, that is not like narrowed down into one guy right. in a bigger clunkier Iron Man suit. Right. Exactly. If, if he was fighting in the, in the same way that, the movie is suggesting that he is, you know, he's he's now fallen, uh, he's now he's no longer part of the machine, that mm-hmm. um, he's fallen off of the machine, that he now has to turn and fight the machine. He has to rage against the machine, John. Yes, exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, no, it just no. I, I like that. I you know, in the first, I actually the first Iron Man fucking rips. By the way, it's fucking mm-hmm. good. Um, yeah, I, I do like that sort of twist better instead of kind of distilling it down into one a guy in a bigger suit. Now he's fighting, uh, like what we what we call in the villains, heroes and villains episodes. He now he's fighting the body the body politic. He's yes, got to fight an idea and like this concept that is very big, and it's yeah, personified in various ways. But the idea is enormous. Yeah, exactly. And the whole thing becomes like a, uh, which I guess you could still view it like this the way the movie was. But the whole thing becomes a man. The, who he currently is fighting against the man that he used to be. So on top of it becoming a man versus external forces, it kind of, um, in a way, becomes a metaphorical man versus himself type story. Yep, I like it. I dig it. And that is a nice adjustment, too. And, boy, it's it, first off, it seems like it's, it's hard to believe that movie was that long ago. I know. Um, and especially considering how the movies evolved over time. And I know there was... I know that they were, you know, they were already teasing, um, you know, the multiple, the multiple movies and the Avengers, you know, coming together. They're already teasing it then, but it still mm-hmm. seems like it that was uh, like from a different fucking time period altogether. It's very bizarre. Yeah, dude, I will tell you, man. I've been right now. Um, I actually we used Disney Plus and everything, and I've, I've kind of been excited to start watching television again, which is feels good. Just I don't know the, the pandemic and stuff, like. I was watching TV, but I don't really have the same kind of like desire to watch more television. I guess call the world being in crisis is my excuse. <laughs> but um, I've, I'm up to 
date on everything Marvel except for Hawkeye. So like the last month I burned through the Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, um, the shows up until Hawkeye, mm-hmm. except for what, except for what if, like, I'm just not going to do what if. Not interested. But, um, not interested. No, no. But like when I was doing research to like how, what I should watch in order and stuff, I found that, you know, like one of many articles that tell you how to do it in chronologically and in date release order. I'm scrolling through this fucking thing. And like I am scrolling, dude, like scrolling, <laughs> scrolling, scrolling about how big the fucking MCU is. And like to think that at one point in time, it all just started with Iron Man almost seems like you're like you're speaking like um, Islamic to me. Like, I, I have no idea. I know it's it's dude. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. Good choice, though. And yeah, that 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 original that OG Iron Man rips. Dude, I watched um, I watched the OG um the Tobey Maguire first Spider-Man on like TNT the other day, fucking nice. kill kicks ass. That movie fucking kicks ass. Um, some of the, some of those early those early. I know obviously it's not part of the MCU, but like Marvel's like early attempts at stuff. Man, they were actually pretty good. I can't believe that we didn't get the MCU earlier. I know it's it is pretty nuts, dude. Like I remember Spider-Man premiered uh, our senior cut day or something, something like, like the that, day. Yeah. The day that we did the the thing in the theater with the slideshow and all that stuff, I think Spider Man like the first showings of it in Macedonia were like a couple hours later. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Why well, is yeah, a long time ago? Jesus. Oh, yeah, I know. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> anyway, I like it though. Iron Man's a good choice, and oddly enough, I am. I, I, we did not plan this. I am bookending you completely, and going with Endgame. Um, oh, nice. So, so the the time travel aspects in my version of this, the time travel aspects remain but we're not going to spend time jerking off over all the fucking movies that we did in the past <laughs> which is that that's why yeah. this movie borders on or no it's over three hours um like we didn't need to go back and have i mean at least for me yeah. and this is dude i know what ahead, you mean ahead. because i know exactly what you mean because i'm not gonna lie i came very close to getting into the territory that you are getting into with, okay. I, before i did before i decided to go with iron man okay okay I, as someone who isn't like hanging off of, I, I, there's, like I said, I've said this many times before, I still have holes in my Marvel watching. There are movies I just haven't seen, and I'm not going to lie to you, I don't plan on seeing them. And I'm totally fine with that. So, like, this journey of all of these particular characters up to Endgame, like, I just don't care as much about the emotional weight necessarily. Um, so, going back and spending time in the 1970s with Tony Stark's dad. And going back in time and spending time in, in, in New York for the Battle of New York, I don't care. Like, it, I, I don't need mm-hmm. those things to sort of, like, remind me of these movies that came out ten years prior. It's, yeah. I get it. I just don't care. Um, so I would still have this sort of time travel aspect to it. But I would – this is something where I would anchor it from Thanos' point of view, at least at least a big portion of this movie, from Thanos' point of view. And once he – once Thanos became alerted I – know, I know it goes through Nebula, so you'd have to change – Quite a bit, but mm-hmm. you know, Nebula, Nebula is the one who alerts him to what's going on. Uh, 2014 Nebula is the one who alerts him to what's going on. Um, so <clears throat> you you so we had to change a little bit there. But once he got alerted, I would have Thanos go ahead and do some fucking Marvel magic, make Thanos suddenly a time traveler along with the Avengers, and have him pursuing the Avengers through time, and yeah. tell it from his point of view. So have you know he's you know Brolin is the essentially the main character here the main voice here as he's trying to track down the Avengers trying to find them as they um, as they're going through new branches of the of the multiverse uh, that we you know that we've teased that we teased in Endgame um, so it's sort of him sort of winding his way through time 
before they all meet up in, I think it's 2023 is the year they're supposed to meet up in, or the year the final battle is taking place. So it's kind of a roundabout way to get them back to 2023. But then we get that idea of putting the putting the villain who has, you know, Thanos doesn't, we've said this before, Thanos doesn't have a point about balance. Um, he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a psychopathic murderer. But he is he's one of the most he's one of the most um compelling characters because of his gray area and his dedication to what he believes in so yes. he has much more room for more interesting maneuvering moral moral maneuvering i'll call it so mm-hmm. you get this this particular character as your center focus um you know this morally certainly dark character but does operate in a gray area that uh, at some fundamental level, level makes sense and so we get more insight into him as he's trying to shut down, you know, take down the Avengers. Um, and then we still get, we can still have our final battle with all the Avengers coming back after the Infinity Stones have been assembled. Um, and then most importantly, and with all with all due respect to Black Widow, can you kill more than one Avenger? Yeah. <laughs> like, I get it. And I get why Tony Stark is the sacrificial lamb. It just makes perfect sense. But at the mm-hmm. same time... I needed Thanos to take a much bigger chunk out of the Avengers so that mm-hmm. there is there is irreparable damage or there is, you know, there's stuff that has to be dealt with going forward besides right. the fact that we're just basically just going to replace Tony Stark. Yeah, that's, dude, that's 100% right there. Yes, all the, all the fucking way. I love the idea of Thanos being the main character here because with the way that they've had the buildup to Thanos and especially the way that, Thanos was like this, like kind of like indirect protagonist of um, the uh, Jesus Christ Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Um, having him take over and be almost like the same role in the second movie just seems to like complete that entire story for me, because I don't really like the way that they had killed him off in the beginning and stuff. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm not necessarily like a fan of that, and it's just this representation of people doing these extremely big plot twists kind of early for like really no reason because he's still in the movie following this with all the time travel stuff. So I honestly think that maybe they could have done something different there. And had they not killed him off right away, it would have kind of given them the opportunity to like, I think maybe like push the story forward linearly a little bit better. So that way, like the time travel stuff just kind of leads up to what we see in, in the present time with like a big all out battle and stuff. And also like, I personally loved Josh Brolin as Thanos. And you're right, this mm-hmm. is the gray area and the commitment to his cause and everything like that. And the fact that he, you know, it, it showed at least some form of love for um, Gamora More, before yeah. he launched her and everything like that. So, like, the um, there's a lot of layered there's a lot of layers to him, which I think deserves a lot more time in a, in a second movie. And again, 100% agree with you on some of the, the time travel stuff, because this is like something that I was kind of toying with when I was debating putting this answer together for the episode. And like, I could kind of do without like a lot of that stuff, you know, and it, it kind of gets me that this movie was like more than a movie. Like, of course it's a motion picture that you're watching, but it's also this kind of threshold landmark achievement inside this big universe. So you kind of have to pay the fans some service. Sure. But I think that they paid them like a little bit too, like there's like a little bit like too much service there. And even more so I'm going to take it farther because um, I have no choice but to mention this because I was just thinking about it last night is that, that whole part with the time travel stuff, it's kind of this 
this kind of like trend, I guess, that I'm noticing between the the second chapter of it, Endgame, and I'm only going to assume that the Flash is like this, where there's just like this big third of six acts or something like that that you know you see like the the kids and the adults in it they all kind of experience pennywise their own way as an adult and the time travel part in endgame feels a lot like that Mm -hmm. to me where it's just this kind of big third act action sequence to kind of get everybody uh so you know some some fan service to kind of do something, you know, like a, a little bit cool with the time traveling, you know, and then to set it up for what's ultimately going to be like, you know, the, the end of the movie and stuff. And I just feel like you're there's just a lot of time. It's just a lot of like unnecessary time. And after seeing the, the Batman in um, the theater uh, two weeks ago, like some of this time that we're spending in the theater like with that movie like you could really fucking feel it you know and when you all of a sudden look down at your watch and three hours have gone by you're like holy shit like you know it's just sorry not two of three hours have gone by you're just like my god like i'm feeling this fucking movie Mm -hmm. and I I just like I think that we should be shorter here. Like, give me two hours and ten minutes, not pushing three. No, no, the movies most I would I would argue all movies can be wrapped up in well under three hours. But oh, oh, yeah. certainly, action movies do not need to be touching three hours. It's it's insane. Um, you know, it, like if again, if you were doing character development and and less and less massive special effects laden set pieces. Um, you probably could get most movies in in under two and a half, and that, mm-hmm. that would be a good place to start. But uh, yeah, I just I don't know. Like literally, when you think of, like that middle portion of the Avengers, or I guess like the later, the later second act into the beginning of the third act, they just stop to have a slideshow. Is what it is. Yeah, that's right. Stop that's to have exactly a slideshow. Right. Just like seeing Vivian Barges on the day that Spider Man opened up, that's what they decided to do: have exactly. themselves a slideshow. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, all right, oh, so man. I like I like our choices there, I really do. Um, so uh, hopefully Kevin Feige will get a hold of us when they need to write the next uh, phase of Marvel movies. Um, I'm sure he's listening. Call us, Kevin. <laughs> all right, so how about how about, how about the TV show? We, we also got to get you know they, they've branched out to TV with some shows of varying success um, at this point in time. Um, mm-hmm. So what would your so base so something new that we're going to base off of uh, characters that we've seen already? What's your TV show that's going to get Kevin Feige that coveted Best Drama uh, Emmy? Okay, I'm like I have two different options here. I, for some reason, I think that you and I might have fallen on in the same category okay. here. So I'm going to I'm going to call an all audible and I'm going to um, go just go by the seat of my pants here. Hopefully, it's not the same thing that you have because I think I'm into some low hanging fruit territory or at least some easier stuff. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take Jessica Jones. I'm going to give her a vape. And I'm going to take her out of New York City and put her in a small town anywhere in America. Okay. <laughs> and Kilgrave and Rachel are going to follow her. And the story is going to turn from Jessica Jones in the big city into the big time Emmy bait and whole small town murder fixation that America's that we're been loving now for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And Jessica Jones is going to go that route. It's basically a shoe in with the whole, like just small town murder thing alone. I think that that in itself immediately gets it into consideration for an Emmy award. Oh, sure. Definitely. And dude, I'm telling you, she could still, she could still drink. She could still beat people up. She could still be the same Jessica Jones. Maybe there's not as many good looking guys for her to break the bed with and stuff, but she's now in the country 
Kilgrave is there. He's got the exact, he's a serial killer now. He's picking off victims and stuff, and she's trying to solve the murder. And they could even get into some of that real dark, twisted shit that they only kind of sprinkled on in the show, like how Kilgrave um, set up Jessica Jones's room the exact same way that she had it as a teenager in this kind of weird, fucked up, quasi lifestyle that he had planned for her. And then, if anything, Rachel could be the the one person that's, um, you know, maybe like her husband is the guy who's like accused that they you know they think did it or she's the the person who just lost somebody who was like a victim of the um of the serial killer and jessica's doing one of these like i'm gonna solve this murder for you type things Mm -hmm. and like i feel that that's basically from everything that we know about um the small town murder thing and america's infatuation with it i believe that this even episode one immediately throws it into an Emmy consideration. Oh, for sure. For sure. Especially if you throw in some voiceover, you know, yep. some narrator explaining yeah. <laughs> an episode, the narrator explaining how the investigation mm-hmm. was going. Um, and at least one podcaster and then you're, you're good to go. You're set. Oh yeah, exactly. Jessica Jones could even have, um, she still have like that one guy who was like trying to get clean from drugs and stuff. Like he could be the Matthew McConaughey of the mm-hmm. show where he says weird random stuff. Like time is a flat circle over and over again. I mean, it's just ripe to be taken that direction. Oh, for sure. For sure. Very interesting take. I like it. What was your, um, uh, before I get into mine, what was your other, what was your other one? Taking Kingpin and making it like the Sopranos where, oh, he's in th- nice. where he's in therapy and stuff. And there's this whole conflict about maybe him trying to go legit versus like the life of crime and stuff. Gotcha. And like literally like we're talking the Vincent D'Onofrio Kingpin in therapy. Like I even want the credits of him like driving around or walking around Hell's Kitchen or whatever. Like I feel that that is just a character that you can interject into just about any type of mob story situation and it's going to work. That would be really interesting actually. I like that a lot. I like that quite a bit. Um, both both good choices. Both very good choices. Um, I'm surprised, you know, and I'm surprised you didn't go with the one that I am going with, um, sort of to keep with my, to keep with my idea about let's move it away from the heroes. Why don't we focus on some of the villains? And Mm -hmm. I will maintain that this is, this is besides Thanos, I think it was a very good villain. Um, and and obviously we both, we're both, uh, Brolin fans, but, um, yeah, I think Thanos is a good villain. I think the, maybe the more, the more interesting one-off villain. No, not even more. The the most interesting one-off villain in the Marvel Universe is Killmonger. And oh, yeah. we're going to go ahead and do sort of a, a Killmonger prior to Wakanda show. And okay. so instead of, you know, so again, we're not going to focus on the superheroes. This is going to be the origin story of a villain. And it's going to be much more, much more dramatic, a lot darker in tone, grounded. There, mm-hmm. There's going to be no superpowers in this. No superpowers, no superheroes, no allusions to Wakanda, no backdoor Easter eggs. We're not going to open doors into anything else. This is going to be a straight military drama in which a soldier who's, you know, obviously we're going to make sure that he's the best soldier out there. Um, that he's almost, you know, seemingly almost like a superhero, but again, no superpowers or anything. But this soldier has to navigate right from wrong in the clusterfuck of a war zone and mm-hmm. how those choices send him down the path to becoming Killmonger. So at this point, he's still Eric Stevens before he becomes yeah. Killmonger. Um, so we'll start with his time in the Navy SEALs and how, you know, he had this uncanny, like, focus and effectiveness as a soldier and as a leader. And then and then sort of the turn comes when he joins the Black Ops unit that mm-hmm. um, uh, Martin Freeman's character, his name I can't remember right now, the one that he ran. Um, you know, so, like, that would be, like, the bulk of the show is his time in this Black Ops unit 
where you know the kind of the point of these of these of these units is to sort of do the morally murky work of mm-hmm. of war and of espionage and everything else and sort of how that you know even though he was you know he was a good soldier and everything else how he in how like he just takes step by step into become into becoming more savage and earning the nickname Killmonger. Yeah, of course. Oh God, I really fucking like that. And it's such a great character too to dive into. Like, I Michael B. Jordan. Like they were talking about bringing him back for the second one. I don't know how, but if you are going to bring Michael Jordan B. Jordan back into the MCU, this is by far and away the way to do it and stuff. And this is some territory that like they've never gone into, like a full scale, full on military drama like this. It just it hasn't happened in the, in the MCU. So you can go a lot of really crazy awesome places he he could even be fighting in in battles that maybe people in the mcu were a part of like he was just a foot soldier on the ground while so and so was fighting something you know there could be whatever they want to do in there and then like the way that they could progressively have him turn darker i mean it's just there's a lot there too like he could be um it could be one of these situations where like they take hostages and the crazy Blackwater leader guy just starts having him kill hostages all the way to something that's even more fucked up than that. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Like, there's, there's not, yeah. I, mean, I shouldn't say there's no limit, but like there is, there are, you can, you can sit here and imagine scenarios in which you can go, okay, I know exactly how, you know, if you're, if you and I were sitting mm-hmm. here writing this spit, spitballing in the writer's room, you and I can be like, okay, he kills, he kills a hostage. He lets, he lets the, you know, the terrorist bomb a building. Um, yeah. Or whatever it is, like you know, he he does something that it's like a mass casual, mass casualty event that he that he chooses to let happen for whatever reason because it benefits the ultimate goal or whatever. Yeah, exactly, dude. Like something like that, and it just all will then kind of reinforce the the history that we have a rough idea of from Black Panther and everything. It'll give us a little bit more detailed look into him as a as a person instead of which we got a good look of him as a person, but I think there's so much more room to explore there. And especially with like, um, you know, his father and everything like that, which is Sterling. Oh God, I can't remember his last uh, name. Sterling um, K. Brown. Sterling K. Brown. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Like there's the whole thing about him being radicalized. They could dive into that maybe farther via flashbacks mm-hmm. and stuff. And like maybe how this relationship and his experiences as a kid thus affected him, more so as an adult, maybe him growing up without the father, a lot of footage of that, like showing his time in, in the system or wherever he was gone, wherever he was taken. Like, right. there's so much fucking room there for drama. Absolutely. I'm, t- I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, Feige needs to get a hold of us. But I can tell you right now, there would never, ever be, at least not, yeah. not no time soon, there would never be a Killmonger show. Ever. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely not. Not while their formula still makes billions and billions of dollars. Yep, exactly. I mean, the I think I think Moon Knight comes out next week. The 30th, yes. 30, okay, so uh, two weeks. Um, that's going to be the closest you get to a quote-unquote dark superhero. Yeah, I'm very intrigued. Which I'm intrigued by. It. I'm very intrigued by it. Oh yeah, this is like it looks very interesting. Um, I'm gonna by the time I get done with Hawkeye, I'm sh- I'm sure that those episodes will be up, and I can keep my little MCU streak going before I go full on Mandalorian. There you go. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, once once you get to Mando, your your if your opinions on what the Star Wars universe should be will change radically. 
yeah, I'm very much looking forward to um, to getting on this. I just wanted to do all the Marvel stuff yeah. first. I'm like, yeah, I got to get all. There's so much of it. I'm like, I got to get this out of the way. Yep, I totally, totally understand. Totally agree. All right, any any final thoughts here for uh, for you know, the audience and or Kevin Feige if he's listening? Uh, Kevin, call us and the audience. Believe me, like I'm telling you, we got some good ideas here. So if you guys know Kevin, drop a name for us. There, there you go. There you go. All right, uh, Chubby, want to lead us out of here? Yes, I definitely will. Everybody out there, thank you for tuning in to this little mini-sode here for, that we had for you. This is The Occasionalist, Adam Shemalewski, Matthew Pagel, signing off, and we'll see you next time.